and center. Let's worship the Lord this morning. How many of you remember that happy day when Jesus washed your sins away?
Do you remember that day when Jesus found you and he took away all of your guilt and he took away all of your shame and he took away all of your mistakes? How many remember the day that Jesus washed all your sins away? Oh, what a happy day. What a happy day that was. And I believe that today, perhaps there'll be even just one that finds the Savior. And this will be your happy day, the day that Jesus can forgive you of all your mistakes and forgive you of all of your sin. Today could be the day for even just one to find a Savior. Celebrate with us today with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your energy. Let's celebrate not just the death on the cross, but the burial in the tomb and the fact that the stone was rolled away and three days after he died, Jesus rose triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Come on and put your hands together today. We celebrate a Savior that lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here we go. Come on, put your hands together this morning, church, as we celebrate God's goodness. Hallelujah.
you'll go ahead and, and make a gesture of worship this morning by lifting up your hands. As you do that, we believe that we're saying, God, I surrender to you. Just like if there was a police officer after you, you say, I give up. We're doing that to our Savior and our King this morning. Come on, and as we sing this next part, I pray that it would be rebirthed in you. The fact that our Savior was once dead, but death could not hold him down. The grave could not hold him down because he was too big and powerful. And he rose from the dead. Come on, sing it this morning. My Savior lives. Come on, say it. Church, lift your voice, sing
conquered the grave. We celebrate that fact today. But because he triumphed over death and over hell, over the grave, then we have confidence today that our God can move mountains. How many believe that God could move a mountain for you today? I don't know what the mountain looks like for you. I see my buddy back here, Josh. We've been watching God move a mountain. He was diagnosed with brain cancer. And here you are, Josh, giving God praise and thanking him that Jesus rose from the, from the dead. That's a pretty significant mountain. But not one that's too big for our God. I see Charlotte back here. Charlotte, it just made my heart leap to see you today, sis. She took a fall some months ago, and she's not been able to even be in the house of God because she's just been healing and recovering. But what? Seriously, you have made my day, really. I've loved, I've loved seeing everybody, but to see you today has really just made my day. And, and to, you're, you're a testament of God moving mountains. I don't know what your mountain looks like today, but I know that because he successfully conquered the grave, he can also move your mountain. If you have a mountain right now that's weighing on you, that's pressing on you, perhaps it is a physical ailment. Maybe it's a relationship that you're just believing God to restore. I want you just to lift your hand right now. If you, you say, Pastor, I really, I need God to move a mountain for me. I want you to lift your hand in faith to believe that God will do this. I don't have the power to move the mountain. You know, there's some preachers, they, they'll try to talk to a mountain, tell the mountain to get out of the way. Well, I have no ability to move a mountain. I'll just be honest with you. But I, I have faith in someone. That's unlike any other someone I've ever met. And I know that Jesus, help me somebody today, I know that Jesus can move the mountains. No matter what I face, no matter what I go through, God is more powerful. God is bigger. And so, Lord, I just pray for my friends right now who have lifted their hand. They have situations. They have circumstances. God, they have mountains. But you're bigger than anything that we face. So we pray that now, 
you would move the mountain. Move the mountain, God. Forever, you're the author of salvation. Yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. You're mighty to save, say, Savior. Move the mountain. Move the mountain.
We honor you today, King of Kings. We honor you today, Lord of Lords. Be lifted high in this place. Be magnified in our hearts. It's only for you, Jesus. It's only for you, Jesus. We thank you today. We thank you today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me, let me remind you today, church, because the Lamb has overcome, you can overcome. You can overcome sin. We can overcome death. We can overcome hell because the Lamb has overcome. And it's, that's the reason why we're here, to celebrate the Lamb, to celebrate the King of kings, to celebrate the Lord of lords. And so, Jesus, this morning, we celebrate you. We honor you for all that you've done, all that you are continuing to do in our lives. We just pause and we celebrate you. We just say thank you on this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your plan. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Never forget, because the Lamb has overcome, you can overcome. No matter how big your mountain is, as Pastor was referring to earlier, no matter how big the mountain is, you can overcome because the Lamb has overcome. Amen? Amen. It's so good to be here in the presence of God. It's so good to be in the presence of God, to celebrate Him. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We just want to take an opportunity to welcome you. And to, why don't you just look at your neighbor and tell them how good they look. Don't they look nice? They're looking nice today. You're looking nice this morning. Well, if you are a guest with us here at La Palma Christian Center, we are so excited that you have decided to come and celebrate Jesus with us today. In a way, uh, we want to celebrate you. And if you would just stop after the conclusion of the service, you will just stop at our welcome center out in the foyer. We've got a gift for you that just says, thank you for coming. Thank you for visiting with us. We hope that you feel God's presence in this place, and we hope that you come back. Amen? Amen. Now, I want you to prepare your heart to give unto God in a different way. We've given through worship. We've given through clapping. We've given through praise. I want you to prepare to give to God through your finances. And then on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to give the very best gift that you can. I, I believe that, you know, God gave his very best gift in Jesus Christ for us. Amen? He gave his very best gift. So I want to challenge you. Why don't you give your very best gift this morning? Don't give it under guilt. Don't give it out of compulsion. Give it because you want to celebrate Jesus. You want to thank him for all that he's done for you. So ushers, if you want to come and help me this morning, there are a couple ways that you can give in uh on your pew there, there are envelopes that you are tucked in there. You can give that way, or you can go online. Uh, even now, you can pull out your mobile device and go online and give that way. But I promise you, you give your very best gift and watch what God will do with it. Amen? God, we just thank you today that we can come in this form of worship and we can give unto you. I pray, God, that you would bless every tithe, that you bless every offering. As we give today our very best, we want to just say thank you, God, for giving your very best. I pray that you would just be with us in this offering, be with us in this tithe, and we commit it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a confession to make. Hold on. This morning, I had a fat girl meltdown. Now, men, you probably cannot get with this. 
But I have to admit, I had my makeup all done, I had jewelry on, I had a certain color of lipstick, I put on the outfit, and then it happened. The sobbing, the fat girl meltdown. There are piles of clothes on my bed. Thank God that I have piles of clothes. They don't all fit, obviously, but there's piles of clothes on my bed, on my floor, and I, I haven't had one of these in a long time probably because I haven't had been this big in a long time, but I'm just confessing right now. I had one this morning. And in the midst of all of that, once I got myself back together again, the right color lipstick on, I realized that I'm celebrating something so much more and how thankful I am you know, it was 41 years ago that a seven-year-old little girl, she was kind of chubby back then too, um, went to a Methodist church, and in the midst of everything, there was no uh, sermon on repenting, nothing like that, no hellfire and brimstone, nothing like that. But in the middle of this sermon, she felt this calling, this emptiness. And because she had heard from her mother about Jesus, she knew what it was. Obviously, that was me. And I will never forget the day uh, I started crying and I was over, overwhelmed. And my dad turned to actually yell at me and told me to be quiet. And I remember I told him, Dad, I... I think that I need to get saved, get saved. I knew that I wanted to follow Christ. This invisible man that my mother had told me about, all the things he had done, I'd never seen him, only heard of him, but I could feel him. And I knew that I wanted to follow him at seven years old. And my dad stood up in the middle of this message and said, I need to interrupt the message because my daughter wants to give her life to Christ. And we got up off the hard wooden pew and we walked down and we knelt at a hard wooden altar and the minister did not know what to do. And so nobody led me in a prayer. I just remember kneeling there and asking this invisible man, this savior to just be with me. And to come into my heart, because that's what I had heard that you were supposed to do. I asked him to forgive me. Not very many sins a seven-year-old can have, but I asked him to forgive me. And I remember on that day so vividly crying and telling him that I am going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to seek you out the rest of my life. And 41 years later, I am 48 years old, and I now have gray hair, but I have sought him out, and I have followed him every day of those 41 years. I tell you this because many of us here today know this man, this invisible savior. We, we follow him. He's a part of our lives. But some of you are here because, well, your wife drug you or your mother drug you. You know, it's the second time of the year. There's Christmas and there's Easter. And thank you for coming. It's Easter. 
But I want you to be open this morning. The choir has prepared uh, a message in song to introduce you to this invisible man, this savior. And then my husband is going to give you some proof as to why this man should be a part of your life. So sit back and listen to the message and wait for him to whisper to you. Because I promise you, if you choose this man today, your life will never, ever be the same.
Come on and let's give God praise tonight, everybody. Give God praise today, everybody. Woo! Hallelujah. I never shall forget. Now, I may get accused of getting carried away every so often, but I really don't care. You see, I know where I was and I know where I am today. I know what I was before I found Christ and I know who I am today. And let me just be honest with you. I used to like to dance before I found Christ and I found out I can still get my dance on even after I found Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So go right on ahead, Mike. Go right on ahead, Robert. You may not like to dance, that's all right. But don't get in my way. <laughs> Thank you, choir. Did you enjoy that? That was powerful. Awesome. What a happy day. Amen. Glad you're here today. I know you've probably got lunch prepared, lunch plans prepared. But I want us to quiet ourselves just for a few moments, just for a few minutes. And I want us to allow God's word to speak to us. I believe God's word is powerful. I believe it's alive and active and it's able to actually do something as it's preached, as we read it, as we hear it. So I want you to open your Bible and we're going to go to John chapter 20. Everyone, let's go there together today. John chapter 20. While you're finding the text today, I also want to say thank you to those who have decorated our stage. This set looks amazing. The, the backdrop looks amazing. These flowers are not fake. These are the real deal. They are beautiful, and they are for sale. And you can get a better deal here than you can at Home Depot, I promise you, because Home Depot gave us a deal. And I believe that Home Depot is going to be blessed because they invested in, in, in our Easter celebration today, really. And so we are simply going to sell these after our service today for what we have in them, which is less than you will find when you go to Home Depot today because they gave us a discount. We're going to pass that on to you. But it's just a way of starting your spring garden. And I know most of these just fly out of here after we're done. So uh, see Robin or Pastor Moses, Jamie, one of them, and, and we'll be sure and get you these flowers. John chapter 20. Look at verse 30 with me. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Let me pause here for a moment. Don't you wish they were? <laughs> I mean, it's really, it gets your mind thinking, Karen, he, of, of everything that, that is listed, everything that is written, and he's saying, there's so much more, we couldn't even put it all in the book. Amen. Well, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Now, this is after he rose. This is post-resurrection, which are not written in this book. But these things, John says, these things I've written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life 
in his name. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for bringing each and every man, every woman, and every student here today. I believe that you have ordered our steps into this room so that you could speak to us. You could show us some things. And I pray, Lord, that what you have intended your word to do, let that be done. Let every wall come down, every distraction, Lord, let it be gone. And I pray that today you would change lives. And we give you thanks for this as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John's writing these words. These words are written by the Apostle John. He writes these words following an appearance of the resurrected Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He borrowed it because he wasn't going to need it very long. Did you know that? <laughs> I just need it for a few days, you know. He borrowed, the, t the tomb was borrowed. He was laid in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he rose. Now he's appearing to the disciples. He's speaking these words because he appeared to Thomas. He had already appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas missed church that day. Now, I wish I had the time to preach a little mini sermon inside of the bigger sermon that I'm preaching right now, which would be entitled, You Don't Want to Miss Church. Because you never know what God's going to do. You never know what God might say. You never know the breakthrough that might happen, the provision that might come, the healing that might occur. You don't want to miss church. The disciples are gathered, and Thomas is somewhere else. And so Jesus appears to the disciples, and of course they are jazzed. They are excited. They're all pumped up. And they're all talking about Jesus appearing. And Thomas says, well, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. Unless I see with my own eyes and unless I can touch with my own hand the nail print in his hands and in his feet. This is the only way, Thomas says, that I'll believe because for Thomas, seeing was believing. And so, fortunately for Thomas, Jesus appeared again. Jesus shows back up and Thomas happens to be there at this time. And so Thomas now sees for himself. He sees with his very eyes. He actually touches with his hands the nail prints in Jesus' hands and feet. And so what does Jesus say? I want you to back up just one verse. Verse number 29 of our text here in John chapter 20. Jesus told Thomas this. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John, to me, seems to be saying, I'm including this in my letter so that everyone who reads it from here on, they would have an opportunity to also believe in Jesus Christ as God's son. Thomas believed because he saw and because he touched. Now, I have not had the opportunity 
to actually see Jesus. I know there are some who say they've had visions, they've had dreams. There are some people who actually say they have seen Jesus. Well, I'm not going to debate that. I'm not going to even really discuss that. I'm making a point here only. I'm not one of them, Dave. I've not seen Jesus. And I'll even add this. I'm not really looking to see Jesus while I'm on earth. Now, if Jesus wants to manifest himself to me and let me see with my own physical eyes his appearance here on earth, I'm not going to close my eyes to it. But I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not after that. I'm not running after that. I'm not pursuing that because I know that there's coming a day when I am going to see Jesus. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. I'm going to see him face to face. I'll be able to reach out and touch his hands and touch his feet. I'm going to put my arms around him and give him a big old hug for everything that he did for me and just who he is. And that I'll be able to do again and again and again. So I don't have to see him while I'm walking on earth. I don't have to touch him while I'm walking on earth. Because once I get to the other side, somebody say the other side. Once I get to the other side, I will see him and I will touch him. And I'm going to spend all eternity with my Lord, with my King, and with my Savior. I didn't have that opportunity. Probably most in this room have not either. But yet, I still believe. How many would say, I've, I've decided, I've already made up my mind, I believe. Well, get this, get what Jesus said. Jesus told Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Bring back up 29 for me, please. You believe because you have seen me, Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Oh, that gets me excited because that's me. I haven't seen him yet, but I've decided that I'm going to believe. How many are with me? You haven't seen him, but you've already made up your mind. You're going to believe in Jesus. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to love Jesus. You're going to serve Jesus. We're even more blessed than Thomas. Thomas, of course he was blessed. He's in the room with him. He's seeing him. He's touching him. But we that have not seen him are blessed. Powerful. So John, John here, he says, I, I've, got to, I've, got to, uh, I've got to capture this. He's a bit of a historian here, I believe. John says, I've got to write this down so that anybody else who reads this will believe. John says, these things are written, in verse number 31 of our text, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you'll have life in his name. I believe John is leaving us a breadcrumb trail, if you will, a path, to Jesus. I believe he's giving us proof. This is proof that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. What's the most important question on Easter Sunday morning? I believe it I believe it is this. Did Jesus die on the cross? 
And did he rise from the dead? The most important question we could ask today, kicking over flowers. The most important question we could ask today, did Jesus die on the cross? And did he rise from the dead? Now there are plenty that will say, well, I'm with you when you start talking about Jesus dying on the cross. Because lots of people died on the cross. I'm with you even when you start talking about how good Jesus was. Lots of folk will say Jesus was a good person, even a prophet, a good man. But to say then that Jesus not only died on a cross, but that he rose from the dead, a lot of people jump off. And they're not with us. I believe the most important question we can ask ourselves today is this, did Jesus die on the cross and did he rise from the dead? If the answer is no, well, I believe there's no hope. There's no hope. We might as well go eat ham and deviled eggs. Oh, we shouldn't call them deviled eggs on Easter, should we? Sorry about that. We'll go eat resurrection eggs. <laughs> Listen, Easter's not about bunnies and eggs and candy and all that. I want to make that clear what my stance is. And I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth here. We did an egg hunt last week. And I, I'll do it again next year. I think it's a, a wonderful way for us to reach out to our community and um, see folks come in and have an opportunity to know Jesus. And, um, but I know what the real reason for Easter is all about, and I think you should too. And if you do have a bit of a tradition of dyeing eggs and coloring eggs and hiding eggs and giving out candy, my kids are full grown. They're not little kids anymore, but we still got some candy for our kids. It's, we've done it for 17 years now. Can't stop traditions like that right overnight, you know. But always make sure that your children and everybody else knows the real purpose, the real meaning of Easter. Yeah. It's about a cross and it's about an empty tomb. If yes, if the answer to this question, did Jesus die on the cross and did he rise from the dead? If the answer is yes, then this is the most glorious day of our lives. The day that we commemorate, the day that we celebrate, the day that we honor not only a cross, but a tomb that is empty and a grave that could not hold our Savior down. Does anybody believe that the answer to this question is yes? Yes. So what proof do you have to tell others? Do you have proof? It's a far-fetched claim, after all, to talk about somebody dying and then getting up from death. Is it just because your mother believed this and your grandmother believed this? Is it because some bald-headed preacher is telling you you ought to believe this? I think we have to really prepare ourselves, Vanessa, and be ready to tell people what the evidence is. What proof do we have? Let me highlight just a few of the proofs that I think we should have in our arsenal. Here's the first. It's the tomb itself. 
I believe the tomb speaks as one of the proofs. The tomb was properly sealed. It was tightly sealed. This was such a great, great controversy in its day that they feared riots. They feared an uprising, the, the scripture tells us. And so the, the security guards were enforced. There was enforced security over this particular grave. Most graves wouldn't even have security, would they? They just die and then they're buried. There's no need to watch a grave, but not this grave. They thought perhaps someone would come in and steal the body away, either side of the controversy. And so it was scrutinized and clearly kept watch. Yet, on the third day, somebody say the third day. On the third day, Mike, the stone was rolled away and they found the tomb empty. Soldiers feared for their lives. The guards thought, we'll be killed. This happened on our watch and we were watching, yet uh, somehow, some way, he rose from the grave. The tomb is proof. What is our proof? The eyewitnesses are proof. Here's another one. The eyewitnesses. Mary Magdalene is said to have gone with other women and she has spices and oils and perhaps flowers. How many still visit the grave of a loved one that has passed and maybe you'll bring a wreath or something like this? It's a bit of a tradition, you know? You love someone, they're passed, and you want to still honor them. Mary was doing this very shortly after his death. So she comes to the grave to pay homage and honor and respect and he's gone. But yet he appears to Mary Magdalene. He appears to the other women. He then appears to the disciples. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. Watch this. Verse number 3, the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinth people. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, all of this according to the scriptures, and that he was seen, watch this, he was seen by Cephas, he was then seen by the twelve, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren, all at the same time, of whom the greater part remain to be present, but some have died, some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James. He was then seen by all of the apostles. And lastly, the apostle Paul says, I also saw Jesus after he rose again. This is proof, folks. Eyewitness testimony is some of the proof that we need in telling other people Jesus is alive. Another proof that I want to put in your arsenal when you talk to others about Christ, the prophecies that were fulfilled. The fulfillment of prophecies. There are prophecies in every book of the Old Testament concerning Jesus. 332 predictions written by various people at different time periods in different regions of the world all concerning one person, 
all concerning Jesus Christ. 332 predictions. I preached this a few weeks ago, and I, and I, I found that the odds of even just eight of these predictions coming to pass in any one person, just eight, the odds are one in 100 quadrillion. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it, if you're curious. I haven't counted that high before in all my life. One in 100 quadrillion that just eight of the prophecies would be fulfilled in one person, yet Jesus fulfilled all. This is proof for us, folks. What is the proof that we need? Well, I believe we're part of the proof. What I mean is, I think the church stands as evidence. The church is proof. The church that was founded shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it still exists today. And in fact, the church is stronger today than it ever has been. And why not? After all, Jesus said this in Matthew 16 and 18, I will build my church and the very gates of hell, the very gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he meant that I will build my church and he's done a really good job. Look at your neighbor and tell him, he's done a really good job building you. He's done a really good job building his church. And to think that we get to be included in the grand scheme, the grand plan of God building the church. But here is why I got dressed today. I went and bought myself a new tie for today, Robert. I'm just telling you. I haven't worn a tie for a long time. I feel a little restricted, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow through it anyway. <laughs> I want you to hear, really, the bullseye of the target today. I've entitled this message, The Greatest Proof. The greatest proof of all. I've listed a few that I believe you can easily defend your faith to others. Here is what I believe to be the greatest proof of all. Are you ready? The greatest proof of all that there is a living Savior, that Jesus rose from the dead, are the changed lives of those who believed in Him. The greatest proof of all. You see, all who decided to believe in Jesus, their life was altered. Their life was dramatically changed, shifted. A metamorphosis began to happen and every man and every woman that encountered Jesus and decided to believe in him. Look at some of the changes. First of all, the believer's aim was changed. They had goals. Clearly, they had goals. Look at the disciples, for instance. Just 12 ordinary, hard-working men their goals before following Christ were temporary. Before following Christ, the goals of the disciples were temporary. They were temporal. They wanted worldly success. Why not? They wanted to be successful fishermen, successful tax collectors, 
successful carpenters or whatever other trade they may have been involved in. We don't have a, a full biography of all of the 12 disciples, but we do get a glimpse of some of them. Hard-working men, businessmen, wanting to be successful. They wanted to gather what they could of the worldly goods because, let's face it, before you encounter Christ, all we think is what we have now. And we have how many years to make the most of our life? 70, 80, maybe 90, some might live in to be 100. But our life is limited, our life is short. And so we try to just gather all that we can. That's before finding Christ. That's our goal. That's our aim, just as it was for the new believers, for the disciples. Their goal before Christ, temporary, all about self. But then they encounter a man like they had never encountered before. They found Jesus. Jesus found them. After trusting Christ, their goals shifted to the eternal. They found Christ. They watched him perform miracles. They, they heard him teaching, and then they're just all in. And they could not get enough of Jesus. And so they wanted to know more about Jesus and about his teaching and about his kingdom and, and just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was about the eternal, right? This is not bad. This is actually a good goal. This is a good aim. And hopefully... You'll decide to believe in Jesus today and he will shift your aim and shift your goal. And it will turn from self to him. But there was another shift in their goals. Their goal before following Christ, temporary. Their goal after trusting Christ, eternal. But after the resurrection, there was still yet another shift in their goals. After the resurrection, their goals were to witness. They had to tell other people about this man. They wanted to fulfill the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the good news. They desired to represent Jesus to a lost and hurting world. So here's the shift of the goals, the aims. Before Christ, it's about self. Finding Christ, deciding to follow Christ, it's about Him. But after believing that He rose from the dead, their goal, their aim shifted to others. I think too many believers are, are, are stuck, if you will, on being focused just on Christ. And they forget about the other people who need to know Christ. You see what I'm saying? Our aim needs to shift. Our goals need to adjust and change. Certainly not on ourselves. And remember, you're born selfish and you'll die selfish. You'll have to fight against yourself every day. I'm talking about every day. If you don't fight against yourself, yourself is going to win. It is a strong, strong desire. Self-will. 
So we have to focus on Christ. Jesus, change our aim, change our goals. And then that shift will cause us to see other people. I want to take as many people with me as possible. I want to tell as many people as I possibly can, Jesus has radically changed my life, and if you just let him, he'll do the same thing for you. How many would say, Jesus has changed my life, and you want to tell somebody else about the radical change that can happen in their life? Yeah. Hallelujah. Change lives. The believer's aims changed. The believer's anticipations changed. They encounter this man who is unlike any other man, and immediately they have this anticipation rise up in them. I think our king has come. They anticipated a king. Finally, someone that will lead us right here on earth. They were talking about and anticipating an earthly leader, an earthly king that will come and save the day. So they rally around this Jesus, not realizing the depth and the height and the, 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 the real magnitude of who he is, who he was. Our king. Hey, guys, I think we got a king. Let's, let's be the political party to try and develop his, his kingship. You know what happens? He died. <laughs> wow, well, there goes that. Right? I mean, there goes that. Now, don't get to the tomb yet. Just imagine the cross for the disciples. What is going on? We, we, we were all in. We're all in. We watched this man do miracles. We, we heard him teach. We, for, we gave up our nets. We stopped tax collecting. We're all in for this king, and he ends up dying on us. What now? Their anticipation needed to shift and to change. So now we'll go to the tomb. Now we'll go to the tomb. The stone rolls away. He gets up out of the grave, and they go, aha, aha, now we know. Now that he's risen from the dead, now he's going to establish his kingdom. Their anticipation changed. They went from anticipating a king to anticipating a kingdom. Look at this. Acts 1, 6, therefore, this is after the resurrection, therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you now, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought they got it. They thought they understood. But the real truth was they didn't get it at all. Watch what Jesus says to him. Jesus says back to him, It's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power. Somebody say power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and it will be for this reason. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, 
two men stood by them in white apparel, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And now the real light bulb comes on for the disciples and their anticipation shifted and changed one more time. They went from anticipating a king. The king died. He rose again. And so they say, aha, now he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. But Jesus makes it very clear to him, to them, that this isn't what it's all about either. And their anticipation went to this. They now anticipated a returning king who would establish his kingdom in the father's time. What is your anticipation today? What are you expecting? Are you expecting the return of a king? You see, he is the king. They were right in one regard. They were just wrong that it was going to be then and on earth. But he is the king. In fact, he's the king of all other kings. There is no king ever before him or that will come after him that is like this king. He is the king of all other kings. Are you anticipating the return of a king to establish his kingdom in the father's time? If you are, you should be busy. You should be extremely busy trying to tell everybody that you possibly can. A king is coming. A king is coming. Jesus is going to return. Let Jesus and your encounter with him alter and shift and change your anticipation. Just as this happened for the early church, there's one more change that I want to bring to your attention. Pastor Moses, come. Perhaps the most necessary, the most needed change then and, well, today, it's an attitude change. Yeah, you might as well say ouch, because it's for all of us. An attitude adjustment. Boy, don't we need that. Their attitudes changed. That first part of Acts continually talks about them coming together and them being in one accord. When their attitude changed, there was unity. God loves unity. Do you know that? I mean, He loves unity. His blessing can flow where there's unity. Division, God really hates division. And as human beings, we can be divided over so many things. Things that really don't matter. We major on the, the minors, don't we? And it separates us, it divides us. The disciples had an encounter with Jesus their aims shifted and changed. Their anticipations shifted and changed. Their attitude, Pastor Dave, changed dramatically. They had unity. They had love. It's a very, a very simple message, actually, today. 
I just wanted to tell you that if you will believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, your life can be changed. Your life can be changed. Dramatically, radically, wildly, unbelievably changed. I, I speak from experience. 30, almost 32 years ago for me, I decided to believe. It was never a matter of convincing me that Jesus was real. I believed that my whole life, Pastor Jim. But because of hurt, my mother died, and I felt like God had a part in that. And if he didn't take her, he at least allowed her to die, and I didn't like either option. So I ran and turned and rebelled from God. But he just kept pursuing me. And I made a decision that I'm going to believe and follow. And he changed my life. He changed my life. Pete, I see you here today. Uh, could you join me on the platform right here? This is my buddy. He's a buddy to the church, really. He's just a good, good man, a good friend. Amen. I love him. <coughs> Tattoos and all. <laughs> but this is part, this is part of your, your life, isn't it? Really. And it was on an Easter. An Easter Sunday, much like today, that Pete felt God calling him and God wanting to change his life. How many years now? Six years, you told me the other day? Six years on an Easter. You know, Easter fluctuates, but still Easter. Oh, you know when it was, huh? March 29th or March 23rd, six years ago. This man's life was dramatically changed. Happy anniversary, happy birthday, whatever we're going to call it. But I love you. And I know that God has many more great, great days ahead for you. You're only, you're only scratching the surface, Pete. You're just getting started. There's an anointing on you, my friend. A changed life. A changed life. Roger, are you still in here? He might have slipped out. Roger Elliott, he was here. Here's another brother on an Easter. I think, I think it was the same Easter. I think it was six years ago. Roger Elliott also felt the power of God and the voice of God calling him to make a change in his life. Would you bow your head today? I believe that God has drawn us here today to speak to us and to let us know that if we believe, He can change our lives. John said, I've written these things so that you could believe, and by believing, 
God can change your life. You will have life, everlasting life. If you're here today and you would like Jesus to change your life, you would like to accept God's plan for eternal living by accepting his son Jesus, I want you to lift your hand and you can put it right back down. Amen. Come on, today's your day. I believe, yep, I see you, I see you, amen. Put your hand up and put it right back down. Be courageous today, thank you. Anyone else, anyone in the balcony? Today's the day. Let Jesus change your life. I'm gonna wait about 30 more seconds. I believe there are more here today. I know Pete, he fought with this. He told me later his heart just beat so fast. And I, I, I called one more time and he moved. We're going to stand in a moment. And when we stand, if you've lifted your hand and would like for Jesus to change your life, I'm going to ask you to come and join me and our pastors at this altar. We want to pray with you today that your life will be changed. Come on, everybody stand. Because he lives. Come now, if you've lifted your hand. I can face tomorrow. Come and let us pray with you right now. Let Jesus radically turn your life around. Congratulations. Come on, is there others who would come right now? This is the day that Jesus wants to change your life. This is the day. every single one of them up here, um, the ones that are real, not the fake ones. Um, you can walk away with them. Um, just see Rebecca Wicks. She's going to be coming up here. She has the prices and all that stuff. Uh, so just see her if you have a question about that. And, but we want to get rid of them all, so uh, feel free. 
Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your presence in this place, God. Thank you for um, your presence. Thank you for your word reminding us, God, um, that you rose from the dead. Father, we thank you, God, that because of your victory, God, we can walk every day a victorious life, God, and we can be free from death and sin. Lord God, um, Father, we pray, Lord God, that we would walk every day in light of what you did, Father, more than 2,000 years ago, God, as you rose from the dead, that we would um, always remember that, God, and always share with others what you have done in our life. God, that we would be a witness, God, that we would be a mouthpiece, Lord God, of what you're doing, Father, and that you are um, our creator and you desire a relationship. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Father, we ask you this today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. So amazing. Everybody.